0: Hi and welcome to the latest Canny Conversations podcast powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Safraz will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. In this second half of the County Conversations podcast with our guest Sophie Norris, the early careers manager at Bentley Motors, the iconic luxury car maker based in Crewe, Sophie shares insights into her own career journey from studying events management in Manchester to her current role managing Bentley's early careers programs. Safras and Sophie go on to discuss the opportunities and challenges facing Bentley as the business embarks on its Beyond 100 strategy to become an end-to-end carbon neutral organisation by 2030. The conversation also touches on Bentley's deep roots in the local crew community and the disappointment over the cancellation of the HS2 rail link. Sophie's small team of three will manage 150 new trainees next year across apprenticeships, industrial placements and graduates. She also offers valuable advice to those considering careers at Bentley and talks about the crucial role of volunteering and getting outside your comfort zone. Safraz and Sophie also discuss the need to tailor applications, ask questions at interviews, research business values, and demonstrate spark, curiosity, and purpose. So let's rejoin Safraz and Sophie
1: so i thought
0: that was really inspiring
1: for me too
2: okay fantastic mm. so i mean having a career that you've, you've had i mean you're, you're still in the early stages i would say you know from where i am because there's a massive amount of experience but there's a lot more i'm sure that you you know you're an ambitious person there's a lot mm. more that you want to achieve so talk to us about currently sort of what are the challenges and the opportunities mm. for now and, and what does the future hold potentially even though we're nowhere near the end of our podcast, but I want to <laughs> yeah. I want to talk a little bit about potentially you could self first in terms mm. of your challenges. What are the challenges in the business at this point in time? Mm. And you know, yes, you've got this beyond one hundred, but mm. where's your focus at the moment?
1: I think so. I've been in the um, early careers manager role for 18 months now. So I joined Bentley as the engagement manager, had a few years in that role and then um, transitioned over to early careers back in February of last year. So I'm still quite relatively new to this landscape and it's quite a complicated one of the apprenticeship levy, apprenticeship standards. And I feel like maybe the first 12 months I was finding my feet and, and kind of getting used to our ways of working. And now it's about... Elevating our programs And our experience as well So there's loads to go at We've just had sign off Of our biggest ever Training intake Who will be joining us Next year In 2024 So we'll have 164 new trainees joining us across our programmes. So it's really sort of my role to think about actually how can we make sure that we give that great experience as a trainee but with bigger numbers. I think there's a few key challenges, especially in early careers, but in HR more broadly. Diversity is is not just a kind of buzzword anymore. It's kind of it needs to be woven into strategy and I think Making sure that we appeal to a diverse skill set is really important to us. We were discussing earlier that we have absolutely no problem with people from a manufacturing engineering background coming to us, but other skill sets may, maybe won't think of Bentley as a, as a career destination. So those people that do work with data or finance or HR, so that's part of my role in, in terms of, of appealing to those broader skill sets. And then I think the second challenge of of HR professionals at the moment is retention and retaining those skills. So we don't often hear about the war on talent anymore so much as maybe the last few years, but I think Mm. it's absolutely still there. The whole principle with early careers is that you identify your future skill sets and you kind of raise your own in terms of building that capability, but you need to retain them after those programs as well. Um, And that's a big challenge. And we're looking at how we continue to support colleagues after their programs it's a really key area of focus for us and people do have portfolio careers i mean you know as you've said i've had a number of roles myself already so as hr professionals how do we kind of tackle that the fact that people won't stay in a role for decades at a time and, and how do we take that into account for our people planning i think it's a big change. And I think lastly, the role of technology is absolutely huge and I think will be in the next few years. So obviously, we've seen a lot of debate in the news around AI and technology and how that's going to shape the world of work. And I, can't, I don't think we can underestimate that. And how do we bring in trainees that are you know, digital natives and consume their content in a completely different way than maybe the rest of the workforce, but learn from each other. So I think there's loads to go out in the early career space. Okay.
2: And I okay. think it's... yeah. So, so being a single site, I mean, yeah. massive organization, very large organization, mm. obviously the brand is there. Being a single site, does that have possible Sort of downside at all, you know. Any, any Apart sort of, from the yeah.
1: walk from the car park <laughs> to our desk, <laughs> it must be it must
2: be must be like a mile on its own. Yeah. Just 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 that. the later you yeah. get in, the further yeah. you're away. Yeah. yeah,
1: you definitely get your steps yeah. in. Um, but no, aside from that, yeah, it does. It, it does have okay. its advantages. Obviously, coming from where we were across the UK, yeah. we'd never be able to get everyone together. Whereas now at Bentley, you know, we can have full colleague briefings and people have real face time with our leaders and yeah. our board members, which is a massive advantage. But, but it is a big site and a really busy site and a working site as well. So you do have those considerations to take into yeah. account. Um, and also with flexible and hybrid working, you know, people yeah. are expecting that. Maybe people, uh, they don't want to have to move for a location anymore. So I think there's a lot of considerations, yeah.
2: I mean, you don't need to comment on this, but I was quite a little bit disappointed that mm-hmm. HS2. I mean, I know it was yeah. going to cover into into Crewe and, and, mm-hmm. and go further the Manchester, but mm-hmm. the whole area yeah. has has been sort of I, I don't know, abandoned in, in, yeah. a, in a way. Yeah. I don't it's see huge disappointment. anybody who's yeah. local there, you know, you must, you must, I mean, again, you're coming from Manchester mm. and also your base being in Crewe yeah. affected a so Double Army. Yeah, you know, absolutely.
1: Twice. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think anyone was surprised, but yeah, a huge disappointment for the area in terms of the potential that they could have bought. Um, Obviously, everyone's kind of waiting to see what, what other schemes and what else can happen in, in its absence, but I think, yeah, being a luxury brand and based in Crew, which does have areas of social deprivation, I think we're really close to our community and the community ties that we have. So yeah, it's it a big blow. Well, just that recently. Just the whole
2: Staffordshire, Cheshire, mm. and all sort of that that area. Mm. You know, being a big employer and, and yeah. you know, just to going into that into mm. that region. I'm not saying Crew on the map, but it's a big investment a big sort yeah. of thumbs up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The fact that you
2: know, government wants to invest in, the, in those sort of areas. That, mm. They've been talking about. i not trying to be yeah. political in any way no. but just, just sharing my sort of mm. personal thoughts really and, and it's, it is heartfelt when you see you know people who are disappointed mm. and, and potentially, particularly mm. where they've been hopeful and, and yep. thinking about it for, for many years. And, yeah, and, and it's been
1: a long time coming, hasn't it? Yeah. And there's been delays and setbacks. And I think, yeah, that loss of potential, I think, yeah, is really disappointing What yeah. what could have been and what it could have brought to the area, yeah.
2: Okay. So in terms of the current current role, mm. I mean, you know, yeah, you, you talk about next year in terms of 2024 mm. being a big year for a yep. number of recruits. What's the lead time in terms of activity and how yep. much are you working in terms of that part of it and how much are you working on the current what does the yeah. role sort of look like
1: absolutely so at one time i'll probably be thinking of four different intakes all at once so four, we'll, four different four intake. different intakes okay. so if you think we'll have to it's so why i lead on that strategic piece of what trainees we want to bring into the organization first and foremost so we'll be working with the, our various different teams and functions to establish what future skill sets we need and what Trainees could fill, so that is a piece of work that probably takes place each year from about April time and through to August. So, establishing future skill set needs, our people plans, and where it's viable to bring in a trainee, that would give us our intake, which would then go out to externally advertise and and recruit into those roles. So we're thinking about the next year's intake all at one time. And at the same time, we're inducting this year's intake. So we've just finished off inducting and welcoming our 2023 cohort. Um, So we welcome them into the business. We lead on all the onboarding, make sure they're really settled. We obviously then can't forget about the people on program. (laughs) So they're already kind of with us in their second, third, maybe fourth years of their programs with us. So we need to think about how we are delivering their development programs, how everything's going, checking in and making sure everything's okay. And then at the end of the program, we also work with our um, our functions to um, think about permanent end roles for apprentices and graduates when they finish as well. So we don't guarantee it, but providing performance is good and everything's gone well. We do aim to offer permanent end roles. So it's, it's working that out as well. and supporting people through their endpoint assessments who throw on an apprenticeship and um securing them and roles into the business. So it's always kind of four years simultaneously. So those skills about kind of coordination and time management, things like that. Um, yeah, really key in my role because you have to think about what what year you're in (laughs) quite
2: frequently. Fantastic with that. Thank you for sharing that. So in terms of the The team itself. Mm. Talk to us a lot about the team. What what do you call your team at the moment? We're the
1: early careers team. And we say that we're a small but a very mighty team of three so there's only three of us <laughs> <Fantastic>. <laughs> so uh, there's myself we've got two early career specialists one of them is focused externally on our outreach activities so that's all of the promotion that we do um, external careers fairs that we might partake in or mentoring programmes or school outreach which we do quite a lot of and then one of our specialists focuses internally on our programmes as well so how do we make sure that our trainees have a great experience what development are we giving them and um, what training interventions can we organise so between the three of us, they definitely keep us on our toes, nice both our trainees smooth. and their managers.
2: Okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, really in terms of. The stakeholders within mm. the business, Why, mm. who, who comes to you and who do you talk to, what sort of yeah.
1: departments? Yeah, so trainees, um, a lot of the time, like I said, their managers have a lot of questions as well, particularly for our apprentices as it's quite a structured course that they're on with, with training providers. So I'll work with a number of external training providers that our apprenticeships are delivered through. So probably in the region of 30 to 40 different providers we actually partner with. And then internal stakeholders, everything from colleagues who support our trainees right the way through, to senior leaders to work on that strategic piece in terms of you know what future skill sets we want to bring in to present that to the board as well because they're really interested in, in what our early careers programme is. And then externally, we do a lot of work with, as I said, local schools and colleges. We have links with uh, universities as well to make sure that our roles are, are promoted, but also that people are considering Bentley for, for particular skill set areas. So I think stakeholder management is probably key number one. Kind of focusing my role and, and and managing everyone's expectations and things like that as well.
2: I mean, that's easier said than done, isn't you know, <laughs> it? In, you know, in terms is, yeah. of expectation management, or when you've mm. got one of these different sort of partners and collaborators mm. and so forth. I mean, you know, communication is rife. That's that's where a lot of uh, the expectation management yeah. all, all breaks down in, in terms of the the partners and the, the the stakeholders and so forth. Yeah, you've got these external organizations that you're working with mm-hmm. you've got you're in a in, in department sort of Uh, different departments that you're also engaging with. Mm -hmm. What what are the challenges do you face? I mean, is it sometimes, I mean, I was speaking to somebody who does engagement, Mm -hmm. they say, you know, when you're talking to somebody external, they they have a sort of a little bit more uh, tolerance to a certain level in terms of some Mm -hmm. of the changes. Internally Mm -hmm. can be a little bit more challenging. How do you perceive that sort Mm -hmm. of difference between external and internal?
1: Yeah, I think it's different challenges with different stakeholders to be honest. I think when we, we engage with a lot of our schools and colleges, I think their expectation experience of the workplace is often very different to the reality of it. So that's something that we, we are trying to educate um, the schools and colleges that we work with. Um, so we do a lot around work experience and things like that, for example, yeah. CV skills, workshops. Um, and I think externally... I think people understanding the capacity that we have as a team as well is often really difficult um, in terms of kind of how much we can get involved in and and kind of deliver. The apprenticeship levy is, is a fantastic example. So... There are hundreds and hundreds of different apprenticeship standards, but no one specific will be tailored to automotive needs. But in order to kind of influence a new standard, it's a lot of time to be part of a trailblazer group and things like that as well. So I think it's really prioritizing what we can focus on as a, as a small team, I think, for us. And then internally, I think it's it's keeping communication channels open. So being really clear what our plans are, what will happen when. So it's not a surprise when we're engaging people with our activities. And um, and ultimately, I think what we do really well at Bentley is empower our trainees a lot. So we really work behind the scenes to make sure that our programs deliver development opportunities for them. So they can really kind of get the most out of their years with us and they can challenge and things like that and then they can get involved in projects and programs so again to that point before i think empowering other people to be able to to help you deliver your strategy and get them development throughout it as well is, is really positive as well so mm.
2: so in terms of just just trying to break down a little bit in terms mm. of some of the uh, early year career mm-hmm. opportunities mm-hmm. that you've got so you've got mm-hmm. your apprenticeships yeah you've got your work placement would you put that into your remit as well
1: yeah so we um, we call it that industrial placement so industrial it's a year placement. with us that is open to undergraduates we have a lot of people who do a year in industry as part of their undergraduate studies but it's also open to graduates as well so we have a real good mix of people on that programme yeah, too so
2: you've got your graduates you've got your industrial placements so you've got and your, your apprenticeships, apprentices and then you've got your work experience yeah, as yeah. well so okay and it's that same team
1: yeah same team that,
2: that looks after all yeah. of these areas as well okay yeah. fantastic Fantastic. And in terms of the industrial placement of the people mm-hmm. who are there for a year, mm. are you looking at these people sort of possibly returning? or?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think for that year, they really get stuck into a team and a project, and often it's their first kind of exposure to the corporate world as well. So especially if you're an undergraduate, um, they bring a lot that they learn a lot in that year as well. So we always say that we, we hire our trainees based on potential. So if we see someone that's got a, a real good spark, a bit of curiosity that's embedded really well, we would like to see them return on to, say, our graduate program. So um, we do have a nomination process whereby if you have absolutely smashed it as an industrial placement, you can get nominated and you can return to us on the graduate program. So about 50% of our graduate program this year, we're returning industrial placement students. you might get an
2: offer while you're at the industrial placement. Yeah. So
1: basically we offered some of our returning industrial placement students back in September. So they did the year with us. They had a guaranteed offer from us for our graduate program for 2024, so they were able to start the third year of uni, knowing that they've got a a role secured and and kind of they'll be returning to us next October.
2: So Sophie, would you say in a way that's a slightly less risky way of recruiting because you've done a a sort of a trial with Mm. them, even though yeah, it's a paid for trial, it's still Mm. slightly risk mitigated slightly because you've seen them in the workplace.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen how they've dealt with the world of Bentley, how they've performed, how they've engaged with other teams as well. And it means that, you know, we have got a talent pool of, of candidates that we can then select from. And ultimately, it's as important that they want to return to us as well. So obviously, many people have different pathways that they want to follow after university and things like that. So I think if it's the right fit for the colleague and the right fit for us, then yeah, absolutely makes sense for us to invite them back.
2: Fantastic. And in terms of sort of numbers, if, if you're able to just mm. give us a indication of what that sort of splits between graduates and apprenticeships. Yeah, if, if you, absolutely.
1: If you, so this year's intake, we had 16 graduates join us. We had 75 industrial placements and then 38 apprentices. Yeah. Next year, the numbers are slightly bigger. So, we'll, so be, it's obviously yeah. a
2: bit of growth there. Mm. So apprenticeships are yeah. a bigger part of the earlier uh, careers as opposed to the graduates. So there seems yeah. to be a shift with a lot of organisations where It used to be the graduate numbers Mm. that are higher than the apprenticeship Mm -hmm. numbers, but now there seems to be a swing where there's more apprenticeship opportunities so is that is that been recent or has that been sort of- i
1: think at bentley we've had a long history of uh, what we uh, used to call craft apprenticeships so a lot okay. of people like i said have come through the organization through an apprenticeship program in, in its various different guises over the last few decades so something that is really kind of part and parcel of our core kind of D offer really we find it to be a really great way that we can gain colleagues with that technical expertise but also our Bentley ways of working and our specialist expertise, especially in manufacturing. So we have a lot of handcrafted areas. So in our wood shop, for example, our sew and seats and trim, things like that. There's a lot of expertise that is very specific to Bentley. So you need that technical knowledge from an apprenticeship, but you need to kind of just practice and get that on the job experience as well. And that's where an apprenticeship works really well. So... Um, Our numbers have always been maybe skewed towards apprentices, but obviously with the apprenticeship levy, then opened up more opportunities for us to bring in different skill sets through that pathway as well. So through project management and um, charter management, for example, we've opened up a lot of degree pathway for apprentices as well as the more hands on trade ones that we've done in the past.
2: So, just going back a little bit, so in digital yeah. placements, you've got 75, mm-hmm. potentially it's a filter routeway into graduate, into graduate. programs, yeah. so you can sort of pick, uh, hopefully the shining stars mm. from there yeah. you've got your apprenticeship programmes people are going to be applying directly mm-hmm. and then you've got your work experience does the work experience is that a filter towards apprenticeships yeah. potentially for,
1: for both apprenticeships and if you're going down the university pathway as well so we have on-site work experience and virtual work experience so our virtual work experience programme we started in 2020 we've had great success reaching a UK wide audience and we always say that that could be experience that you put on your CV whether you go down the university route and then join us as an industrial place spent for as an apprentice as well so we always make sure that on our work experience programs the students can interact with trainees on all of our programs so they can see what their role is what their route is and um, how they landed that job as well what experience they had under their belt beforehand just so that it's really clear what opportunities that we've got available because I think it's really important that students, especially at those key times about, you know, kind of options, choice and things like that, they're clear that they've got a number of pathways to them available and pathway parity is something that I think, you know, is, is really, really key so people can take the right Pathway for themselves.
2: Uh, in, terms, uh, in terms of these work experience opportunities, is that mm. mainly the sort of uh, schools and, and colleges applying directly or individuals mm. coming to you as well? Um, or, you a know, bit how? of
1: both. So, the last few years we've had applications through our Bentley Careers site because we wanted to have that whole work experience as. Right from the beginning of applying for a job as well, so we ask for an application, it's just a short application about why you'd want to work at Bentley, and it just gives students the opportunity to go through what an application process is as well. So we then sift, we have a, a short conversation with them, and then we can offer them the role based on kind of what their interests are and things like that. So we want to make it accessible to anyone who would apply and anyone who would want to join us as well. So, yeah, applications are out through our website.
2: Just want to share something with you. I was mm. speaking to not somebody from our industry but somebody who who is in the recruitment sector and, mm-hmm. uh, a, a week ago and they said basically more and more or less what they're finding is a lot of these applications mm-hmm. now coming in mm-hmm. are very much AI uh, generated mm-hmm. or, uh chat generated mm-hmm. and you can actually see them mm-hmm. and, and they've got a sort of a, a, a sort of attention to detail a filter to say okay yeah. you know, that looks like it's a copy and paste what well, used okay. to be copy and paste but yeah ChatGBT, is that are you coming across that or are you, any, yeah. any, I think yeah,
1: any, yeah. Our, our recruitment team team actually have the phenomenal task of going through our applications three. yeah but i think all of our trainee roles the application process is a CV and a cover letter okay. so it's only two opportunities oh. to kind of impress us oh, okay. so if that cover letter if we think it's been ai generated maybe it's a bit of a red flag and i think i also that that's your opportunity to tell us what you're like as a person a absolutely more, yeah. so if there's a bit of a red flag on that but maybe this year we'll see more AI generated yeah. ones of last year. I think it's, yeah. it, like I said, it's changing at such a phenomenal pace.
2: Okay. Maybe
1: something that we'll have to I think keep an
2: eye on. You know, the personalization of that cover letter, mm. I think that, that really sometimes makes or breaks the, the individual Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, you, mm. you can probably write in a way that you may not do on your mm. CV. Thank you for sharing that. I really, yeah, really no appreciate that. So, in terms of good practice and bad practice or, you know, what good looks like in terms of applications and if somebody mm-hmm. wanted to sort of look at applying for yourselves and mm-hmm. organisational similar, what sort of advice would you give to people out there in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, what, where, where would you go and learn? You know, some people, you know, YouTube, these things and so forth mm-hmm. and others talk to individuals. What How would you advise somebody mm-hmm. uh, looking at opportunities at different levels? So, you know, graduate possibly, looking yeah. at graduate opportunities, somebody who's looking at maybe a sandwich placement, the industrial mm-hmm. placement, as you said, mm-hmm. the apprenticeship route and work experience. So know yeah, mm-hmm. how would you you know any any thoughts or nuggets of
1: advice yeah i think for any of those opportunities it's really important to do your research on the business so what i always say to candidates is an interview process an application process is as much for the candidate as it is for the business so you want to make sure that as a candidate you're a right fit for that for that team and that culture so i always say do research on the business look at their strategy and look at their values is it aligned to your personal ones do you think it's a good fit And then any any opportunity always ask questions of the interviewer as well. So I always love giving an interview where I don't feel like I'm the only one asking the questions and I get grilled (laughs) a little bit at the end because I think a bit of spark, a bit of passion, you know, a bit of curiosity. Is always really good, no matter whether that's for a work experience placement or a graduate role. And I always say that with such a breadth of roles, especially at Bentley, we advertise them individually because they can be so different. So a graduate in, say, our quality department will be vastly different to our HR team. So look at that individual advert and really pick out what skills we're looking for. And think about your experience as a whole. So as I've mentioned, you know I have got work experience, but I think some of my most valuable transferable skills have been from working as a waitress, whilst volunteering, whilst studying. You know that kind of breadth of experience. So I think we always encourage candidates to think about what they can bring to the table, not only from a technical perspective in their academic studies, but as a person as well. So the applications that really stand out of people with. A bit of curiosity, a bit of innovation. I remember one that said that they had created an app for their fantasy football team, okay. and that is absolutely phenomenal. You know, okay. kind of having a bit of spark, a bit bit more about them than they maybe just academic studies. So,
2: okay, I mean, volunteering was a big part of mm. your life, and you know, you utilise that as a, in a in a big way. You leveraged on that. But You know, any sort of advice to encourage people to volunteer and maybe look at those things because some people you know, don't see the benefits of mm. volunteering.
0: And-
1: I think getting people out of their their comfort zone, I think is really important, no matter at what stage of your career or or kind of your individual circumstance. I think engaging with people that are completely different to you, like I said, different backgrounds, maybe in a different social circumstance, different culture. I think it gives you a different perspective that you can then take to any situation in life. So I think... The skills that you can get from volunteering are, are amazing, really, and it's something that Bentley supports for a volunteering leave scheme, which is really great. And and a lot of other businesses and companies are, are looking at that as well. And I think it's um, I hate the term soft skills, but it is those kind of non-academic, non-technical skills that you can get from from engaging with people from from different backgrounds and and feeling like you're giving back and got a bit of purpose as well. I think is massive.
2: I mean, Sophie, I mean, uh, uh, again, you know, when I talk to some people and they've, you know, they talk about their first role and uh, some of them, you know, they've, they've got this thing, you know, I've got a degree mm-hmm. and I've spent all my time doing this and all this investment in the degree or the master's you know, in some mm-hmm. cases, you know, and they, they, they feel there's an expectation. Mm. and I want that graduate level job, or oh, I've mm-hmm. got this job. I don't want to be the PA to the PA, as an example. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't yeah. want to do that. They're very close-minded, mm. and, you know, you're a testament to that open-mindedness, the mm. fact that, you know, you've got to sometimes go for it and do yeah. it. Be open-minded, show people, rather than just tell them through their CV, show or what you can do yeah, and demonstrate absolutely. that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a real firm believer in that, and I think I often say, especially to people looking at graduate roles – if that transition from university and academia to the world of work, it's often like learning to drive. So you think you can drive, you got your driving license, you know, you got your paper in hand, and then all of a sudden you get into a car on your own and you think, Wow. wow, this is so different. Yeah. So so you
2: different. Oh, I remember <laughs> yeah.
1: I had the radio on for the first time. And I thought, oh, that wasn't there. in my, in my lessons
2: yeah. and I was
1: completely silent. So I think that's a really good analogy going from academia and the study of something to the reality of it because it's so different. And that's what we have a lot of feedback from our industrial placement students. They say, you know, I've just spent two years learning all this stuff at uni. It's completely different to the world of work, and I don't want to go back to uni now. Yeah. I want to yeah. say a lot of them don't, don't yeah. want to go there. But, yeah, but I think it's so different and yeah. I think our, our education institutions you know I think there is a lot that they can learn from industry and, and people in, in roles such as themselves can can help with that in terms of that understanding but I think it's you know once the training wheels are off it's a completely different environment so I think going in with that level of expectation yeah and I, I, I never felt that I kind of thought the opposite and thought actually I need to prove myself because I haven't got any real life experience <laughs> so and I think yeah going in with just an open-mindedness and just saying actually what what can I contribute and what can I I take from this opportunity is yeah, put me in good stead yeah but
2: Sophie you say that very lightly and easily but that honestly from an experience perspective there's a lot of people who've got that element of expectation Mm. Uh, Mm. they don't want to start from the bottom they think Mm. you know a degree gives them the automatic right to become The manager, Mm. Uh, you know, I want to have a management role. Mm. I want to have a team leader role. I just don't want to be part of the team. I don't want to be any title as well. You know, they're very specific with the title. Yeah. I think that sometimes can be very off-putting. You know, I say to those individuals, try and get into an organisation first. put in the door prove, yeah prove, prove, prove your worth and, and then work, work
1: upwards yeah and if you've got a strong work ethic I, I firmly believe that you know if you show a bit of potential no matter what role you're in even PA to a PA yeah. you know, so, someone will see something in you and, and give you another opportunity you just got to take it so yeah
2: thank you for that just trying to bring you a little bit to a close yeah. if, if we can Sophie you know you've you've been two years in in terms of this sector Mm -hmm. so a lot of transition Mm -hmm. uh so yes you know you know Bentley quite well now Mm -hmm. you've you've been there for a little while but in terms of the sector that we're in that's Mm -hmm. new sort of new arena new new territory for you for yourself and and the sector itself goes through a lot of change a heck of a lot of change you know Mm -hmm. sometimes you know we're frightened in terms of some of the decisions that Mm -hmm. unfortunately government make or powers that we make and there's a lot of red tape to a certain level, mm. there's a lot of bureaucracy, there's a lot of opportunities as well. Yeah. You know, how how do you keep abreast with what's what are the, the opportunities, what are the challenges, and what's your the plan for yourself in terms of how, you know, keeping on top of the work and keeping mm. relevant uh, yeah. as an early careers manager.
1: I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges of the role. In terms of, it is a very complex landscape. It, taking into account just apprenticeships, say, you know, kind of the changing landscape. Now we have T levels, as a whole new program that we're kind of thinking about, and and kind of industries is has an, a certain level of expectation to engage with. Obviously, we've got a general election potentially on the horizon in the next twelve months that can completely change things. We've got a change in landscape in terms of university funding and things like that. So I think it is really difficult kind of keeping abreast of that. And I think it's maintaining really strong relationships with a few key people to to kind of keep me up to date. So we have a contact at the department for education that I meet with regularly. I think networking with similar people in my position is is phenomenally helpful. So such as through the um, Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance, that networking element of it is hugely important as well. And I think ongoing dialogue with the universities and education providers and and our training providers is is key as well. But there is a wealth of information, a wealth of change. And I think, as you said, opportunity, but a challenge to keep in touch with it. And I always say, you know, my role is dedicated to traineeships. I do benefit from being part of a large organisation when I think of SMEs and how they do it. I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) So hats off to any SME who has an apprentice and, you know, tries to kind of understand that landscape themselves part of, you know, probably as as a 10th of their job. I think it's really difficult, and I think government does have a role in, in kind of cutting through that a little bit and making it more accessible in terms of the the advantages that apprenticeships and other qualifications can bring. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank you. I mean, uh, again, thank you for the uh, mention of the multicultural apprenticeship mm. alliance. I mean, I've got to thank you, really, more importantly for your for your support with the uh, with the alliance. Uh, you know you're an organization that's, that has been supporting us not just in terms of putting your name to to our brand, which is a big thing for mm. for any large multinational brand that it is to to associate themselves with such an initiative, but at the same time with your input, with your time, with your uh, valuable contribution as well uh and we're honored to to have you as a patron as a supporter. And, and somebody who's who's been there for mm. for us, so again, much much appreciate that. Yeah, so that, that's absolutely. my job to thank you and, and no to problem. to support you for that. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about community because mm. you know we started, mm. and you spoke about the community of where Bentley is, mm. and that's been such a thing, such an important thing. And you also spoke about how multicultural the workforces and, mm. and that diversity element of it so and then at the same time we spoke about supply chain mm. earlier on as well and mm-hmm. there's all these all these sort of groups of people mm. who are within that Bentley sort of community mm-hmm. as, as a whole and then, then you've got your your own which is a Paramount role because you're doing a lot of engagement. You're mm. you're talking to this. You're the face yeah. of Bentley to many people. I mean, mm. you're the face of Bentley to us, and you're the face of Bentley to to many organisations. So talk to us a little bit about, if you can, that community aspect of it, and you know, how, and how important community is to Bentley to yourself, mm. and how do you engage with all of that? Mm. And then, and then, if if I can, because this is a long sort of question, because I'm going <laughs> to get you to sort of finish off really in terms of some of the challenges again, uh, but more importantly the opportunities and this the you know because you you spoke about the excitement at the moment in terms of beyond 100 mm-hmm. uh, the fact that we're all on the same page of driving mm. some of those things and, and there's a lot of transition taking place particularly mm. in the next few years and it seems very, very exciting to be involved and get involved. So there you go that's on your side the ball's on your side I'll try and remember and all and that I'll,
1: and I'll
0: sit here quietly now yeah. for the next five, ten minutes
1: or so yeah. however long you want to I answer think, them. I think community is yeah. such a broad umbrella term and like yeah. you said we engage with so many different communities and I think being really clear on our strategy is number one and I think just taking people on that journey and especially our train, our trainees, but especially our colleagues as well, for them to understand where we're at and, and, how, and what they get involved in, and what they can get out of being an employer at Bentley as well. Uh, we do a lot with our local community and I think we've we've got a long standing history of, of that at Bentley, but I think the pandemic really brought that to home in terms of how important that was and community links were. So we've got our corporate strategy around advancing life chances, which is a real umbrella term for supporting our local community and and empowering them and that's something that our trainees get involved in as a core part of their program which is something that I'm really proud of so they do a lot of work with the Trust and local um, okay. charities and things like that as well. Yeah. So I think it's really important for them to engage with that community aspect as part of their trainee programme because then as they progress through the organisation, their senior leaders, they've got that kind of experience and, and that's woven through. And yeah, we are we are part of a lot of different communities in terms of supply chain and things like that. And I think there's a huge piece of work at the moment looking at our, our supply chain and making sure that sustainability is really understood by our suppliers and, and what our expectations are as well. So We've then got the community of the VW group as well, which is maybe something we haven't really touched on as part of the conversation, but um obviously a global community that we're part of and we have a lot of synergies with particularly Audi and Lamborghini and Porsche. So okay. it, it kind of that, that synergy and, and working on the same challenges and opportunities with technology and things like that is is something that is, is great to be part of and obviously something that I'd never experienced at well. So that was another kind of facet to working at Bentley and something that our trainees are involved in as well. So we've got some graduates actually on placement over in Lamborghini at the moment in Bologna in Italy. So it's very lovely. I keep seeing them with all their sunglasses and, <laughs> and pasta and pizza. But I think that collaboration across communities is, is, is hugely important. So I suppose, yeah, community is a really broad term, but I think Business and community are increasingly kind of coming together, and I think that's the right thing to do actually going forward. And, and like I said, making sure that our trainees are part of that right from the start of their journey is really important to us to embed that. And I suppose, yeah, challenges. I mean, it's a real, real challenging time at the moment in terms of. Economically, I think you know the the, everything that happened in the news. I think there's been a real barrage of kind of negative news over the last few years. And I think, as I said, even during my time at Bentley, it was Brexit, then it was COVID, then it was um, kind of conflict. And I think. A business does have a role in supporting the wider well-being of their colleagues and their their workforce population. And I think it's a big challenge. And I think we are part of a a society that's always on. We don't switch off, probably don't get enough sleep. We're overworked. And I think kind of balancing that between the needs of the business and the needs of the employer and the employee is a big challenge. And I think one that every business navigates and will continue to have to as well going forward. So...
2: A lot, lot on. Sophie, honestly, thank you, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights, your mm, journey. Problem. It's been absolutely uh, delightful listening to your experiences, to hear your journey. My salute to you and your highly effective team of <laughs> uh, of, of three all yes. together, which is yeah. which is fantastic. You've got a lot on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. They're very broad shoulders, very <laughs> experienced. Uh, and, I, and I wish you uh, sincerely. I wish you all the best with. The work that you've got in terms of the next Kung few years—it's very exciting in terms of listening to yourself about career management and so forth. I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm in the wrong sort of sector <laughs> to a certain level. I need to have a little bit of a change <laughs> and some of those challenges. But I—I I think uh, I think you've provided a, a wealth of inspiration to our listeners. Uh, I feel inspired. I feel energ- energized. I feel like I could drive to Manchester and back. Brilliant. the With the energies <laughs> that you we, we have. Uh, and I just want to thank you. But I know you have the final few words, please, and, and just – Thank you for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And and I said today, actually, it's been really lovely to reflect on on kind of my career to date because I don't know if it's a British thing or it's kind of an industry thing, but we don't often stop and kind of look back and reflect uh, enough, I don't think. So it's been a really nice opportunity for me to do that and look forward as well. So thank you so much for having me today.
0: Thank you so. Thank you. Thanks to Sophie Norris, the early careers manager at Bentley Motors Limited, for her time and insight. Next week, Safras will be in conversation with Jonathan Foote, Head of Apprenticeships and Early Careers at Compass Group in the UK and Ireland. So if you don't want to miss that, remember to subscribe or follow us. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you, there are already 75 other Canny Conversations episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or... Go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We'd love it if you could review, subscribe or follow the podcast. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcasts.co.uk or go to Safraz's website. That's safraz.co.uk. Safras has also written a series of easy-to-follow business books, Canny Bites, and these are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash by the book. As I said, we'll be back next week with the first part of Safras' conversation with Jonathan Foote, head of apprenticeships and early careers at Compass Group. So until then, have a good week. <laughs>
1: This is a 1386 audio production.